0: Well, we're not really going to Angus Barn, it's not open for lunch, but sort of the power of suggestive thinking, you know, you understand that, don't you? It is good to have Laura's folks here today, and uh, I'm looking forward to spending time with Marvin and Diane after the service. In case you are uh, just beginning to visit here at Grace, we're spending a summer in the songs, Uh, those rich poems and songs that express the ups and downs of life that with which we're all so very familiar. And they do it so very well. If you've been here for the first couple of weeks, you may be discovering that these messages are intended to help us try to understand the Psalms and when we come to them and, and, and to learn how to read them. There is much about that as they are about the content. But how much instruction and comfort there is for us in these words that were written, in many cases, a thousand years before the time of Christ. And I think you're going to find the type of psalm that we'll consider today especially relevant to your life. We were created to live in a garden, and yet we wake up every day in the desert of a fallen world. So says Michael Card, and I think you would agree that he describes the human condition quite well. I've been closely associated with death these last few years, and it repeatedly occurs to me that we were not created to die, which is why you may find very dedicated, godly men and women, men who love the Lord Jesus with all their heart, struggling mighty against the waning of life. Don't look at someone who comes close to death and fights against it and say, wow, I thought you were closer to the Lord. Listen, we weren't created to die. Now, some of us are given that kind of grace. My mother went to surgery, the happiest any of us had ever seen her. We didn't know that she had told two nurses, I'm going to die, I've been called. She knew she was going to be with the Lord. She knew it in her heart. Most of us don't go that way, though. Most of us fight against death because we weren't created to die. We live, if you will, life as it was not meant to be. We live this way because of the fall. The fall of Adam and Eve that was surely every bit as much our fall as it was theirs. So how do we exist in this inhospitable land? We acknowledge that that our God is sovereign and all-powerful, yet we find ourselves anxious, depressed, laden with all kinds of limitations, wearing down in multiple ways and utterly unprepared for the latest twist that life presents to us. How do we cope? Well, we find direction in the Psalms and the first thing that we do is to cry out to God and don't jump to conclusions because we're going to be confronted this morning as we were last week with the recognition that we see and understand God far more fully than King David did when he wrote the two Psalms in question. That doesn't mean that the Psalms don't mean as much to us simply because we now have the death resurrection and Uh, of Jesus Christ and Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, that doesn't mean that the Psalms don't mean as much to us. I, I, in fact, think that they mean more to us. We have a greater understanding, a fuller understanding of what God was doing when He led these men to write these painful and difficult Psalms. That's important to grasp as we think this morning about the Psalms of Lament. At the end of our study this summer, David Calvert is going to sort of bring it all together, tie it all together and talk about the structure and the order of the Psalms as a whole. There are five books in the Psalms and we'll still be talking about that and the structure, the uh, uh, parallelism and other things as we go along this summer. But David's going to sort of bring it all together. Life seems more manageable, does it not, when it seems well ordered or seems a sense of order and purpose. And I I know that a lot of you are free spirits and that that you love change and you love challenges. But none of us enjoy having our worlds absolutely torn apart by pain and sorrow. Even if you enjoy change, you don't want to hear the doctor say cancer tomorrow. You don't want that. But sorrow, as we have already acknowledged, deep sorrow, in fact, is a part of life. And these psalms speak to those times. There is a clear progression in the psalms, even though it is a tad erratic at times. And the title of our summer series, Pain, Praise, and Peace, reflects the progression. The first part of the psalms often find these psalms of laments lament, where people are crying out to God. David and others are, are crying about the difficulties that they're facing. Though certainly some of those Psalms are found later in the Psalter, but then the Psalms of praise and gratitude, while are, they are at the first, find most of their space in the latter part of the Psalms. There's order here and direction on dealing with life when it seems absolutely out of control. The Psalms of lament speak to disorientation in our lives. Again, you'll hear a great deal more about that from David. While we crave order and orientation, if you will, the Psalms of Lament help us to cope with this orientation. And one of the great features of the Psalms of Lament is that though they begin with this cry to the Lord, they always end with this this, this expression of praise and gratitude to the Lord. Well, always except for Psalms forty and 44 and 88, that is. I, I'm so grateful that God determined that those to be in there. Psalm 88 is just woe from beginning to end. Psalm 44 starts off saying, God, you're great, and you were great to our fathers. But I ain't seeing too much of that greatness. And it just goes on and on and on. Complaint, complaint. And it just ends right there. Life's hard. Why, why, God? Why do you allow this? I'm so glad, as I said, that these two Psalms, God... can. Cons- Determined that these two psalms should be included in His Word because all of us have been, at one point or another, well, most of us, I would say, maybe all of us, to that point where we feel very near despair. And we can identify with these psalms and and empathy at that level. Someone who understands our condition at that level almost always brings a measure of comfort to us. You know what it's like when you're just agonizing and then somebody who has been through exactly what you've been through comes along and oftentimes it's great if they just sit beside you, maybe put an arm around your shoulder. Well, here in the Psalms, we find this identification. We've all been there and so we appreciate it when a man of God is crying out in pain. Our text this morning is Psalm 13. As is our custom, we'll stand in just a moment and read the Scripture, out of respect for God's Word. Now, let me just say, as we have talked about the last couple of weeks, don't mistake respect for the Word, for worshiping the Word. As we have seen the last two f- few weeks, actually, we see it every week, the Scriptures always point us to Jesus. But we do have respect for God's Word. I, personally, and it's been a long time since I've said it, but I've said it a hundred times since I've been here, I think. I mean, I'm very careful with this book. I don't just throw it around. I don't even put my glasses on top of it. If I go to your house and, and, you're, and there's a glass on top of a, a Bible, I'm liable to just kind of discreetly because it's just, I mean, it's just a respect for the Word, honoring God and His Word, which tells us about Him. But we need to remember that the worship always Goes to him. So we will worship this morning, although it won't sound all that much like worship at the first. It is, as we'll see. Psalm 13, would you please stand as we read God's Word together? I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, some in this room this morning can only say, You have dealt bountifully with me by faith. In fact, so much of this life, all of this life is really predicated on faith. We, we must believe you. And Father, that, that faith that you so graciously give to us begins to turn our hearts and minds and helps us see from a different perspective. This morning, whether it's this morning or another time, every single person in here goes through a period of great sorrow, deep grief. And these Psalms cheer our hearts in an odd kind of way, which makes perfect sense in the long run. So enlighten us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, BC. How long, O Lord? You ever felt like that? I mean, four times in this brief little Psalm, four times David says, How long? He's voicing, obviously, significant distress. And David doesn't identify his trial immediately. And actually, the whole psalm is written only in vague terms. But the pain of his circumstances is quite palpable. I mean, we feel it. We're with him. We've been there. We understand where he's coming from. Even though we may not have the kind of human enemies to which David alludes we recognize that our great enemy satan is constantly in our faces now without question sometimes satan uses other people other christians other christ followers in fact for his purposes in our lives and before you go start saying oh yeah i can think of mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, just remember that you have unwittingly been Satan's pawn at times in the lives of others. You have been the one that Satan has said, oh boy. Ah, Steve Turner is just right for the... And I'm going to use him to really go Tony Grabowski. If anybody needs it, Tony does. To. The general nature of David's complaint is just one of the Ways that God directed scripture to be written so that its truths are timeless. They're always relevant. Aren't you glad that David really doesn't identify what his deal is? I mean, if we saw exactly what his problem was, we might say, oh, okay, well that doesn't apply to me. But it's general enough that it applies to all of us. The emotion that David experiences here is very near to despair. He's endured about as long as he can. He's at his wit's end. And when he says, how long? He's not asking God, okay, give me a timetable. He's saying, I I can't take anymore. I'm at that place where it's just about to consume me. And when he accuses God of hiding his face from him, he's not saying, oh, oh, God, you got distracted. Hey, look over here. Oh, he, he knows that God sees us. His concerns, his problems. He's saying the same thing that Martha and Mary pretty much said to Jesus. When they said, Jesus, we sent word. In in essence, this is what they said. didn't quite come out this way, but it was in the tone of their voice. Women are very good. No, I'm just kidding. All of us are very good. All of us are very good at that, right? They said, we sent word. If you had been here. You could have done something about it. You had plenty of time, they were implying. You had plenty of time to get here, but you didn't. And now, he's dead. Four days dead. It's done. It's over. See, we know that God sees and cares about our agony. Don't we? And we know that He's more than powerful enough to do something about our problem. And that's what gives us such a a problem. In our relationship with him. God, you're here. You know it. Why don't you do something? He sees and we want to believe that he cares. So why this pain? Why doesn't he do something to ease the pain of his servant? Look at some of the other laments found in the Psalms and other places in Scripture. Psalm 88, 18. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Psalm 6, 1 through 3. Oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. He's, he's repenting here, but then he turns Quickly, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 44, as I've already mentioned, acknowledges how great God is at the beginning, but then the psalmist goes on to complain that in spite of God's greatness in the past, ain't so great right now. Not, not in my life. Jeremiah cried out as Jerusalem was being destroyed, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of His fierce anger. Finally, the shortest verse in the Bible says so very much about sorrow. Jesus wept. This was no soft, inconspicuous little sniffle. This was a crying out. And in fact, a a more literal translation would indicate that Jesus cried out in anger. And clearly, He had to be angry at sin and death. All the consequences of, of, of what happens to us because of sin. In the garden, Jesus' agony was over the same things. Our sin... In his death. His death that would be offered in our place as a substitute for the judgment that we deserved and that should have been poured out on us. Which is instructive, isn't it? Now I'm going to talk about the cross in a little bit, but whenever we are facing the cross, we have to look no further than Jesus to see that it's okay. To lift up a cry of lament to the Lord. As long as we say in the end, nevertheless, your will be done. So, do tears have a legitimate place in our lives? Or are we, in light of Jesus' sacrifice, responsible to always find praise on our lips, no matter our circumstances? Life will not, unfortunately, allow for continual praise and happiness. It just won't. We were born with lament all around us. Mothers, our mothers were in great sorrow and pain for the moment. And the first sound out of our mouths is crying, usually. Very soon, though, We learned that crying is not a good thing, especially boys. Big boys don't cry. But all of us, boys and girls alike. The shushy. It's well meant, it's, it's well intended, but it teaches us that we shouldn't cry. And in fact, there's a little bit of shame associated with crying. Yet, in Scripture, we see repeatedly that not only is sorrow an inevitable part of life. But there's value in lament. Even after Jesus' death and resurrection and after Pentecost, we read Paul. We read about Paul talking about how he's troubled in spirit and how he's in distress and affliction and, and how he takes comfort from good news. It's not that, you know, he just worked through it. It's finally the good news came and I was comforted. Oh, I was relieved when it came. So we can say that it's okay to cry, to pour out our hearts to God and lament. Why? Because our honest expression of pain to God acknowledges that we realize He is our ultimate hope and comfort. Now, I would try to avoid complaining to God and accusing God like David and the psalmist did. We do have a better perspective than them. But crying out, and you know you're thinking it. Why? Why? It's okay. And by the way, is there anything like pain to focus our attention on the Lord? I mean, if you had not had the the pain and sorrow that has so recently been visited upon you, would you be as focused on God as you are now? Even if you're frustrated, where would your focus be if it weren't... For the pain. It may be that you're in Psalm 88, where there just seems to be no light, no hope. You're at that place, that point of despair almost. But Psalms 44 and 88 are, are, are exceptions. All of the other songs of lament begin with the cry of pain, but end in praise and trust. Michael Card said, Lament is one of the most direct paths to true praise. We know the true praise that we know we've lost. He's talking about the praise that Adam and Eve so, so generously gave to God in the garden. He's talking about the garden and how we lost that relationship with God that was there before the fall. Living in the desert, lament. Living in the desert as we do, lament is a cry to restore that broken relationship with God and to restore that garden, that place where everything was okay. In fact, Card says, lament is not a path to worship, but the path of worship. Psalm 13 seems to validate that claim. Let's go back and read this whole psalm again and move with David in our hearts from lament. To praise, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest the enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wow! Just like that. Aren't you glad to know that the next time you face real sorrow in 30 seconds, the time it takes to read this psalm, it's done? Well, of course, David didn't get over it that quickly either. I'm sure that this psalm was written over a period of time, and it may have dragged on and on and on. But it did happen that David moved from lament to praise. And that's what matters. That's where God has taken us, ultimately, to a place of praise. It should bring us great comfort to know that no matter where we find ourselves today, if we will cry out to the Lord, He will eventually reward our, our faith and that trust, and it will... We will find ourselves in a place of praise and gratitude. And that's where life is anyway, isn't it? It's here. It's here. It's not in circumstances. It's not in possessions. It's not as difficult as this is to understand. It's not even in other people, although that's a lot closer than the other things. It's in Him. It's him. Now that doesn't mean that some sorrows will not affect us and even remain with us in some form all the days of our lives. But one day, all tears are going to be wiped away. To sing of our trust in God's steadfast love, to rejoice in his salvation and to sing of his goodness to us brings glory to him. And it's attractive to those who observe us that don't know the Lord. Those who don't know the Lord, when they they watch us giving praise to God, even in the midst of our deep sorrow, it sort of brings that, I, I sure wish I had what that person has. And it brings great glory to God because others, when they observe, they recognize that there is more for us than just this life. There is one in whom we trust utterly. But there's something more to our suffering in in our day. In the Psalms and in the Old Testament as a whole, when sorrow overwhelmed someone, the best response and outcome was simply trust in the Lord. I, I'll trust in the Lord, and and usually it was a sort of a trust that, in fact, it was very much this way in the responsive reading that we. We read that God will crush my enemies. He'll break the teeth, you know, of of my enemies. And and it's kind of like he's going to make everything okay. But we don't come with that heart now because everything is not necessarily going to be okay with us. Our suffering has a far different end in sight. One of the things that... I hadn't really planned to say this, but it's as good a time as any. Maybe it's the best time in talking about the Psalms. Most of the time when you read in the Old Testament someone talking about death, you've got to understand they did not have a a, a real clear understanding of afterlife like we do. Now, they knew they had some sort of vague sense. uh, that. And people always point to Job, I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end I will stand with him. But look, I mean, you read the Psalms and these guys are saying, look, what good is death? I mean, can I do anything? Can I praise you from there? Look, keep me alive so that my life counts so that it matters. By the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, at the least, had begun to understand that there is another life, that there is resurrection for all who are connected with God. The Sadducees didn't uh, uh, believe that, but the Pharisees, did. Now, our understanding of the next life is far more complete than anybody in the Old Testament. And our sorrow has a far different end in sight than those of the Old Testament, and particularly the Psalms. In the New Testament, we're told that suffering is, is a part of one's walk with the Lord. It's just it's part of it. Philippians one twenty nine, For it has been granted to you That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. There's plenty more along these lines in the New Testament. So suffering is not only inevitable in our lives, it is determined ahead of time that it will occur. And even though it ultimately is a result of the fall, there is purpose and meaning in our suffering. And we find that purpose and meaning at a place that the saints in the Old Testament did not know would ever exist. The cross of Jesus. The cross on which the God of Israel would die. To receive and absorb the wrath of a holy and righteous God so that we might live. Philippians 3.10 that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Paul's great desire in life was intimacy with Jesus. He was willing to suffer in myriad ways. Not only persecution, but just all kinds of suffering that came upon him and weaknesses that he had earlier despised, now became opportunities to make him grow strong in Christ and to, and to commune with, with Jesus, commune with the one who was known as the man of sorrows, especially in the context of the cross. When there is death for the Christian in any form, there is always resurrection. You get that? Whenever there's death, for the Christian, there's always resurrection. But it is impossible to experience resurrection and resurrection power without death. So it's a nasty part of life. But it's one in which there is purpose and meaning when we die to ourselves and our own desires. When we die to our desires Our idea of how life ought to be. Lord, if you'll just make this happen, if you'll just do that, everything will be okay. I think I can handle anything else. What do you think is going to come at you? It's going to be the one thing you can't handle. Satan's going to make sure of it and God's going to say, it's okay, I've got a purpose. i let him do it. I'm in charge. I'm sovereign. Don't you know that I want this to bring you to me? And Jesus waits there at the cross. When we die to self and submit to God's will especially in a crisis a deep abiding joy is the blessing that we reap. Now that doesn't mean that we move to party street right you know after we life gets hard and we say okay God I trust you. That doesn't mean that we're going to be laughing it up. A deep abiding joy may not look anything like you expect it to look. It's simply a a confidence that God is bigger than our pain. That He loves us, the proof of which is in the cross. And that this desert in which we live will not always be so. The garden will come again. It's part of the new heavens and the new earth. And we can have full confidence in the one who's going to cause it to happen, even when we suffer, especially when we suffer. God is glorified and we are comforted when we trust him to give us strength in our pain and hope in our hearts. So what do we conclude since we live in New Testament days? Is there no legitimate place for lament in our lives? Well, I think that question has been answered repeatedly. Of course there's a place for lament. Not one of us has escaped pain and suffering, nor have we gone cheerily down the road when it comes along. More often, we drop to our knees and cry out in pain we stop dead in our tracks and, 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 and drop to our knees and cry out in pain. Whether literally or figuratively, to God. When we do, we're in good company. Both Old Testament company and New Testament company. And when we cry out to God, we have begun to worship Him. Again, it's, it's probably not going to feel like worship. It's going to feel like A complaint. It's going to feel like an accusation. But if the perspective is big enough, if your God is big enough for you to understand that this is a part that He has designed for you to ultimately end up trusting Him, then the crying out has a great deal of meaning. Lament helps us to pour out our emotions And it puts us in a position to look up to God in trust. And when we look up, we see the cross and we know that he understands completely. And we find communion with him. Aren't you glad for the Psalms of Lament? I mean, what a relief we find, and what release we experience when we sing our sorrows to God. Doesn't sound like the blues, but it's very much, you know, like the blues. Next week, Sean is going to introduce us. I told you, I'm in weddings all over the place this summer, so two more Sundays I'll miss. Next week is one of them. Sean is going to introduce us to the Messianic Psalms and see how they specifically point to Jesus. Then we'll move to Psalms that praise God and literally dance with joy. Not not us, the Psalms do that. If we're going to dance, I'll let you know ahead of time, some of you may not want to come, you know, if we're doing a holy dance in here. Uh, that's where you're going to be someday though. If you're in Psalm 88, in that place of despair, go read it, where there's just no hope. And that's all you feel like. It's just saying, "I, I, I don't get it. It's just too hard. You've forgotten me. If you stay by faith where you are and cry to God, you'll end up In a place of trust and praise for the one who loves you and cares more about you than you can ever even imagine. Let's pray. Well, Father, um, we acknowledge that this life is painful and that you're bigger than our pain, but we also have to confess that it just doesn't feel that way sometimes. Uh, The pain comes at us from so many different angles. And there are so many confusing emotions that um, require, demand our attention, and we don't know what to do with them. Lord, and it's always the stuff that we never thought we'd have to deal with that just ultimately gets us. So, Father, we first of all come in humility, confessing our arrogance and pride that made us think that we were capable of managing this life. We're not. And we also... God, they'll cry out to you from a deep place in our hearts and our souls that very few will ever comprehend and touch. But, Lord, you know exactly. You know everything about that place in our lives. You made us. You're a creator and you are a deemer. And we trust in You. Even in our time of sorrow, may praise be found on our lips. In Jesus' name, Amen.